Caucus Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. No consensus. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka. On this Tuesday, February 28th, glad you could be with us, and here's what we have for you this hour. The debate over the origins of the coronavirus remains divisive, even after an energy department assessment that it was from a Chinese lab. The removal of toxic waste from a train derailment and fire in Northeast Ohio has resumed. Find out where the material is going. The Supreme Court hears arguments today about the Biden administration's proposed student debt cancellation plan. We'll have a preview. And why most young men are single, yet most young women are not. At the end of the pandemic, a lot of young guys had some self-esteem problems. You know, they, they were pale, they were out of shape, they, they were way out of practice in their social skills. Mm-hmm. I think more so than young women. I think young women maybe made more of a social effort even through the pandemic to socialize because women are just so much better trained to do that. Dan Divizet at the Hill on the breakdown in the social and romantic life of the American male. The White House says there's no wide-scale agreement within the Biden administration over the origins of the COVID-19 virus. There is not a consensus right now in the U.S. government about exactly how COVID started. Comments by National Security Spokesman John Kirby came a day after the disclosure of an Energy Department assessment that the pandemic most likely originated with a leak from a Chinese lab. The Energy Department, which had previously been undecided on the origins, recently joined the FBI in saying the virus likely spread from a Chinese laboratory accidental leak. Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz. The overwhelming weight of the evidence for, for over two years now has been that this virus escaped from a Chinese government lab. China's government, of course, rejected the assessment and accused the agency of engaging in a political smear. The origin of COVID-19 has been the subject of intense debate since the virus began circulating widely in the central Chinese city of Wuhan in early 2020. Shipments of contaminated liquid and soil from the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, have resumed after cross-country concerns about where the hazardous waste is going. Officials with the EPA previously said they have approved the shipment of contaminated waste to two EPA-certified sites in Ohio, one in East Liverpool, the other in Vickery. Two more sites, another in Ohio and one in Indiana, will also receive waste from the derailment scene. EPA Regional Administrator Deborah Shore. The addition of these disposal locations gets us closer to having enough capacity to finish the cleanup and to get all the waste out of East Palestine as quickly as possible. The move came after officials in Texas and Michigan complained they didn't get any warning that waste from the toxic crash site would be shipped to their states for disposal. The EPA ordered the train's operator, Norfolk Southern, to stop the shipments Friday so that it could review the company's disposal plans. The U.S. Marshals Service says it's investigating a ransomware security breach that compromised sensitive law enforcement information. We get more now from this morning's Mike Gavin. A spokesman for the agency said the incident took place 11 days ago, affecting a standalone marshal system. Standalone means it's not connected to a larger federal network. Among the information compromised, that of employees, fugitives, potential targets of federal investigations, unidentified third parties, and information about ongoing legal procedures. Officials at the Department of Justice, which oversees the Marshal Service, deemed the cyber breach a major incident. 
Gordon. Thank you, Mike. Under U.S. policy, all major incidents are considered to be significant cyber incidents deemed likely to result in demonstrable harm to U.S. national security or the public health and safety of the American people. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is poised to release its national cyber strategy as soon as this week, the first of its kind published in more than 15 years. When you're an innovative business, every blinking cursor, every blank page is an opportunity. What will you do with it? Will you make something better or create something new? Our Dell Technologies advisors provide you with tools and expertise to do incredible things because we believe there's an innovator in all of us. For advice on smart PCs powered by Intel vPro that's built for business, call a Dell Technologies advisor at 877-ASK-DELL. Thanks for spending time with us and welcome into Tuesday. Though the Supreme Court likely won't issue its decision about the legality of the student debt cancellation program until June, borrowers and court watchers may get a sense of how the justices are thinking about the two major legal questions at issue in the suits when the attorneys present their oral arguments today. A preview from Jillian Berman, Deputy Enterprise Editor at MarketWatch. Jillian, review how we got here. Almost immediately after they announced the policy, a bunch of you know organizations that opposed it sort of started searching for ways to challenge it legally. Um, there were a bunch of lawsuits filed kind of all around the same time and two survived um, the sort of the legal system and, and those two are being heard by the Supreme Court. All right. And it's the issue of standing, right? Explain that. Yeah, so one of the big issues that uh, the plaintiffs will need to overcome um, in presenting their case is whether or not they have standing. And so standing is the idea that you can't bring a, a lawsuit in federal court if the policy at issue doesn't injure you directly. So they basically have to prove that this uh, debt relief plan would would cause them direct harm and that the court could address the harm with some kind of remedy. Okay. So you said in your story too, maybe quoting a legal observer here, that the justices may want to get creative in deciding if states have standing. What do they mean there? What did that person mean? Yeah. So basically, you know, it was sort of a lot of legal experts kind of on both sides of the political spectrum agree that it that the parties are going to have a tough case to make um, with regards to standing. So, you know, one of the lawsuits is brought by six Republican led states. And basically they're saying that, you know, because there's an organization in one of their states that earns revenue off the student loan program, any, you know, discharge would hurt that organization's bottom line, which would then in turn hurt the the uh, state's bottom line. So, you know, that's kind of a, a, a little bit of a chain reaction. Um, but, you know, what one of these experts was saying was, you know, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, he's uh, he has kind of a special sensitivity towards situations where it seems like the government is trying to enact a policy um, in a way that avoids judicial review. And so, you know, shortly after the Biden administration announced the debt relief plan, they actually sort of um, narrowed who was eligible. And uh, a lot of observers think the reason that they narrowed that eligibility um, was to avoid lawsuits or sort of to neutralize one legal argument um, that, that some of the states were making. So what this expert is saying is that you know, and it's of course, it's all prognosticating, who knows, <laughs> um, right. but that Chief Justice Roberts might have that in mind when he's thinking about whether or not these states have the right to sue.
Mm. We're speaking with Jillian Berman, Deputy Enterprise Editor at Market Watch. Her piece is called What You Need to Know About Tuesday's Student Debt Relief Supreme Court Showdown. What if, Jillian, neither side has standing as determined by the Supreme Court? Yeah, so if neither side has standing, then the Supreme Court won't get to the the question of the merits. So they won't be able to say, you know, whether or not um, the the program is legal um, under you know the law that the Biden administration is using to to authorize it. Um, what they can do, one legal expert told me, is in you know sort of their concurrences, their various opinions, they could you know signal how they might uh, rule on it if. Um, you know, if there was a party that did have standing, um, but they can't really get to that question if neither, if they decide that neither of the parties have standing. Uh, so is that a win for students with debt in that case? Uh, yes, it would be. So it would mean that um, the Biden administration's program would stay in place. Probably, you know, some of these organizations that oppose the debt relief program would try to, you know, to see if they could find another plaintiff um, to bring the case. But that could be difficult. And also, we know that the Biden administration has, I think, over 20 million applications for the debt relief yeah. plan right now. So they could probably get that money out the door relatively quickly. Um, and it's a little it, it's harder to, to walk it back once the money's out the door. All right. Thanks, Jillian. Jillian Berman, Deputy Enterprise Editor at Market Watch. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning. America's first news. Here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Parts of the Northeast are gearing up for what could be very heavy snow today after tornadoes and other powerful winds swept through parts of the Southern Plains Sunday night, killing at least one person in Oklahoma. Norman Police Chief Kevin Foster. There are multiple roadways still closed due to debris and down power lines. A few of the major roadways that are still closed. Some Michigan residents are facing yet another day without power following last week's ice storm. In California, the National Weather Service says winter storms will continue moving into the state through tomorrow. Number two. The U.S. Marshal Service reported a cyber intrusion that put potentially sensitive law enforcement information at risk. The agency says the ransomware incident targeting a standalone system was discovered February 17th, prompting officials to disconnect its operations while launching an investigation into what authorities described as a major incident. The service says the affected system contains law enforcement sensitive information but did not extend to the witness security program. Number three. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen visited Kyiv yesterday, the latest high-profile trip aimed at sending a message of U.S. commitment to supporting the country's defense against Russia's invasion, including with financial aid. Yellen's visit to a war zone came a week after President Biden's surprise visit last week. Yellen met with top Ukrainian officials to discuss the rollout of $10 billion in financial assistance for Ukraine. A special House committee dedicated to countering China will make its debut today. The opening act in what lawmakers hope will be a strong effort to overcome partisan divisions and address a generational challenge to the U.S.'s national security. The vote to create the committee was bipartisan at 360 to 65. West Virginia really wants its people back. The state Senate has passed a bill that would give $25,000 in tax credits to former residents who moved back to the state to work. Those eligible for the credit had to live and work in West Virginia for at least 10 years or were born in the state and had to live outside of the state for at least 10 consecutive years. West Virginia lost a greater percentage of its residents than any other state from 2010 
to 2020 and is now the only state with fewer residents than it had in 1950. Ooh, that's a wild stat. Thank you, Jen. Want to eat healthier, but every supplement you've ever tried seems like the better it is for you, the worse it tastes, then you have to try AG1 from Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I wanted more energy and better gut health. What I didn't expect, the taste is better than any supplement I've ever had. I drink it, like it says, before anything else when I wake up. I guzzle those 8 to 10 ounces before my coffee and start my day knowing I've already gotten the recommended daily intake of all the good fruits and veggies. There's definitely a mental boost knowing you've started the day off on the right foot. I tackle the day now with more confidence and energy. AG1, by the way, is not only lifestyle friendly, it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. Try AG1. I love this product. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Gordon. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Gordon to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com slash Gordon. Thanks for being with us. More than 60% of young men are single, nearly twice the rate of unattached young women, signaling a larger breakdown in the social, romantic, and sexual life of the American male. As one expert says, we're in a crisis of connection. Insight from Dan Divizet, reporter at The Hill. Dan, what are we learning? It looks like there's been a a big divide that's entered our uh, sort of social fabric between the romantic lives of 20-something men and 20-something women. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different ways of looking at this, but, but you know, the bottom line is that the majority of men in their 20s are not romantically attached, and only about uh, 30 or 35% of women are unattached. And that just is a puzzler. Who, who are they all dating, right, yeah. <laughs> if not the guys? Is this, a, is this a choice, or do we not know? <laughs> Well, every, I suppose most of this is a choice. I, you could get into a nasty argument with some people about this, but I think most people, uh, let's, let's say in, in, the, in, the, in the female group, it looks to me from the people I've interviewed like they're being more choosy. They have slightly higher standards. You know, they think that guys, young guys are emotionally distant, emotionally immature. I think they, they've, in old, in past generations, maybe they were okay with, young women were okay with that and were willing to be sort of like the full-time emotional counselor to their mate yeah but they're growing tired of that and so they have kind of a higher bar now and i guess a lot of these young guys don't don't reach the bar wow so who are the women dating if the numbers are so lopsided well exactly i asked everybody i interviewed this question and i i think some young women are dating each other um, there's an enormous group of, of young women who identify now as bisexual. Now, remember, in our culture, for a guy in his 20s to say, um, I'm bisexual, is, I think, unfortunately, it's still considered to be kind of a stigma. Um, it's not masculine. It's not macho. Our culture, our, our masculine culture is very macho, right? So I think it's much more natural and easy for a young woman to say, I'm bisexual, um, I, 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 I can, it's who I love. It's not what gender they are. Harder for guys to do that. And then also, uh, and this is since time immemorial, some young women date older guys. Yeah. Uh, the average marriage age is, is a couple years older for guys than for women. And that's still, that endures to this day. The average first marriage, I think the husband now is maybe 30, 31, 32. The woman's usually 28, 27, 29. 
We're speaking with Dan Divizet, reporter at The Hill. His piece is called Most Young Men Are Single, Most Young Women Are Not. Uh, what, what role does, say, social media and perhaps pornography play in these numbers for men? Um, well, I, a couple of the psychologists I interviewed said, I think guys got it, young guys got into a little bit of a rut, as so did we all, right, in the pandemic. And I think at the end of the pandemic, a lot of young guys had some sort of self-esteem problems. You know, they, they were pale, they were out of shape, they, they were way out of practice in their social skills. Mm. I think more so than young women. I think young women maybe made more of a social effort even through the pandemic to socialize because women are just so much better trained to do that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just tragic. And also this, this article talks about a, a much broader problem afflicting young men. They're much less sexually active than young women. They're much more likely to be lonely. They have fewer friends. It's kind of tragic. I mean, I, I feel bad for young male America right now. Dan Divizet, reporter at The Hill. 30 minutes after the hour on This Morning, America's First News. 2023 is well underway, and many of us are still trying to get high-interest debt under control. Great news. A credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream can help pay off your credit cards and lock in a low fixed interest rate. Rates start at 7.99% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are no fees. Plus, the fixed rate will never rise, and you can often get your money the same day you apply. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get this discount is to visit lightstream.com slash deal. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M, lightstream.com slash deal. Subject to credit approval, rates range from 7.99 to 23.99% APR and include a 0.50% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash deal for more information. That's lightstream.com slash deal. Behind the headlines. Above the noise, you're listening to America's First News, this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. Welcome into Tuesday, February 28. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka, some of our top stories and headlines. The White House says there's no consensus on the origins of COVID, despite a new assessment by the Energy Department. Toxic waste removal resumes in East Palestine, Ohio. Supreme Court hears student debt forgiveness arguments today. Residents vote today to elect a mayor in Chicago. Winter storm warning for much of New England. Rupert Murdoch acknowledged in a deposition that several Fox News hosts endorsed false narratives about a stolen election. And the man who walked across the country for homeless veterans. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by Dell. Dell Technologies provides growing businesses with the tools to do incredible things. For advice on smart PCs powered by Intel vPro that's built for business, call a Dell Technologies advisor at 877-ASK-DELL. Companies are shedding some workers without imposing layoffs. Chip Cutter, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, says amid a wave of job cuts hitting U.S. white-collar workers, a number of employers are taking other approaches to manage their workforces. Chip, what's up here? Well, that's right. Companies 
are shedding workers without resorting to layoffs, and companies are taking a variety of approaches. Some are adding new restrictions on remote work, others are stepping up scrutiny and performance reviews, others are asking staffers to relocate across the country to keep their jobs. And so these can have a similar effect as a layoff in thinning a company's ranks, likely because some people just say, I'd rather leave than put up with this. Okay, so that's the case, for example, by getting issued a subpar performance review, you think, oh my goodness, this is worse than I thought. Nobody here likes me. I'm leaving, like that kind of effect? That's exactly right. So at Facebook and Instagram parent Meta, the company recently issued thousands of subpar ratings to employees in a round of performance reviews. And some of Meta's leadership experts or leadership you know, expects that those ratings will, will cause employees to leave in the coming weeks, according to people familiar, familiar with the matter. And so I think what this is doing is some people might say, well, I got a bad rating. I've decided it might just be better if I go out and look for a job of my own. Uh, and so this is one example where a company move, it isn't a layoff, but it might cause someone to then on their own decide to go out and find another job. Yeah. But the, you know, the way that came about at Meta made it seem like it was like preconceived it just makes you wonder if some of these reviews weren't fabricated or i mean i guess their letter to the law to a certain extent but it seemed like a head scratcher well and, and meta told us that you know it's Performance review process has been communicated to employees. The company has long had a goals-based culture that gives incentives for high-quality work. Um, but you do, you know, at a number of companies, even beyond Meta, you see that sometimes companies will step up performance reviews. They'll they'll step up scrutiny. They might sort of have more performance improvement plans issued. All of these moves that can make employees feel like, you know, what I don't know if I want to do this, mm. and may want to go out and find another job. We're speaking with Chip Cutter, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. His piece is called How Companies Can Lose Workers Without Imposing Layoffs. You touched on some other large employers like Disney, Amazon, Walmart. What have they done? Well, so Disney and Amazon are interesting because obviously both giant companies, but they've recently stepped up in-office requirements. So Disney is going to require its employees, its corporate employees in the office four days a week starting in March Amazon is mandating less, at least three days in offices for much of its staff as of May. And this has been a tactic that, of course, we've been talking about for a long time in the pandemic, how companies go about return to office policies. But what we've seen is that when companies really sort of enforce this, they, they say you have to be in the office or we're going to require you in the office more than what you've been doing previously, not everybody wants to go along with that. People have you know, developed routines at this point. They maybe have gotten used to not having to commute. They've made, you know, alternate childcare arrangements, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And so any change to work practices can be really disruptive. And so, you know, companies can have a variety of reasons for doing this. I mean, they just may find for their cultures, it's better to have people together in person. Uh, but again, a shift like this can cause some people to say, we're out, we don't want to do it. You touched too in your story about uh, the risk of making these voluntary turnover moves. Explain that. Well, there is a risk here because, uh, you know, any shift to, you know, to how a company works could cause people to leave. And sometimes there's sort of unwanted turnover. And this is where a company's best employees decide not to go along with something. So Walmart, for example, recently closed, has, has told its employees that it's going to close three of its U.S. technology hubs and require hundreds of workers to relocate to places such as Arkansas or California or elsewhere to keep their jobs. And so here's an example, you know, even beyond Walmart, though, we've seen other companies close offices or tell people they might need to move states, that sort of thing. Um, and just 
you know, when that happens, really good employees might say, I can't move, I have a family, they have other obligations here. And so the risks of all of this is that, you know, companies can lose great people who they prefer would sort of stay with them. And, and Walmart has certainly said this, this effort is not in any way a strategy to, to reduce headcount. The company hopes all of those affected choose to continue their careers with the company. Uh, but, you know, all of this can sort of come with, with perhaps some unwanted consequences. Thanks, Chip. Chip Cutter reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Hey, glad you're with us. Welcome into Tuesday. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, you know, we talked yesterday about the guy who was in hot water over bringing a full rack of sticky, messy ribs with sides onto an airline flight. We found the complete opposite experience on another flight as another passenger has gone viral for their airline food adventure. A Japan Airlines passenger found the vegan meal option on a recent flight to be underwhelming, to say the least. Chris Chari requested a vegan breakfast in business class on his flight from Jakarta to Tokyo last week and ended up with just a single banana and some chopsticks. At first, Chris thought the banana would be the appetizer and was surprised to learn that it would be the entire meal. The lunch wasn't much better, what Chris referred to as barely seasoned spaghetti, while the non-vegans got grilled beef tenderloins. Mm. The airline's website shows much more elaborate meals for vegetarians with no reference to the banana-only breakfast. Wow. I guess they didn't have anything else to, to roll out there. It's weird. I, you know what? strange. With those international carriers, yeah. I always presume that the meals are top-notch. You, yeah, I mean, the rest of the meals, as described, because, you know, for the non-vegans, were really good. Yeah, because you, these are generally really long flights. Right, yes. Uh, you, you're, you're paying a lot more. It's business class, it's, too. Business class, right? Yeah. I would have assumed a lot, yeah, a yeah. lot more out of yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, if for no, you know, not even for taking the hunger out of it, just the fact that you paid for business class and you get a banana that costs, yeah. you, know, you know, 28 cents or whatever, that's, yeah. that's a little tough. I think 19, 19 cents? Per banana? <laughs> 19 <laughs> cents like a pound? Something like that? I think at uh, Trader Joe's I paid yeah, the other day. I thought, ridiculously what? cheap bananas, bananas are. Right. Pound yeah. for pound, bananas yeah. are great. little more for your money there. But he needed six here. <laughs> and uh, there seems to be a surefire way to get social media views these days. Just prank your parents. TikToker Corbin Millett, whose profile consists of multiple videos of him pranking his parents, has over 39 million views and millions more in follow-up videos after covering his parents' kitchen in peanut butter. And when I say covered, I mean every surface, every crevice, every light fixture slathered in sticky peanut butter. In the comments section, one user asked how much peanut butter was needed to pull off the prank, to which Millet responded, 28 pounds. Other users were concerned for his well-being, with one writing, part two, my parents covering my coffin in yeah. peanut butter. <laughs> Another wrote that if they were his parents, they'd change the locks and get a restraining order, and then you can see how uh, angry his dad got in a subsequent video. He says the cleanup took him about three hours, and he was helped by his dogs. Undaunted, Corbin has pressed on with more prank videos, including covering my parents' bathroom in peanut butter, my parents' bathroom, that is, in peanut butter, and covering my parents' living room in tinfoil. Okay. <laughs> Whatever, kid. I'd go get a job. I mean, do something. This is just in the last few days. I think this video, this original video, was only three days ago. Okay. So he has since done like a part two video on I that, see. and then you know covering the bathroom in peanut butter, and then the tin foil. Just in like every day since yeah. he's doing a new one. If I were the parents, I'd say, hey, great job. Now go clean it up. Yeah. Um, which I guess he did like, I, with the help of the dogs, I, but you're I, never going to get all of no. that out, right? Your pe your your kitchen's going to stink of peanut butter just, forever. I'm just thinking like the knobs of the oven. 
Yeah. It, those are truly clear of all peanut butter debris. Like, peanut butter's yeah. oily. Yeah, you I know, mean, that's a pain in the a neck to clean up. professional cleaning crew probably couldn't yeah. get all that peanut butter out. Yeah, again, it just seems like he's making a lot of work for himself. It I, does seem like it, hopefully making some money and hopefully sharing that money with his parents with all these TikTok And views. once you do one room in peanut butter, yeah. you know, don't do another room. Like, I mean, do you lack the creativity? Like, <laughs> right. what's tinfoil? Okay. Yeah, get, get to jelly for the, uh, for the next one or something. <laughs> when you're an innovative business, every blinking cursor... Every blank page is an opportunity. What will you do with it? Will you make something better or create something new? Our Dell Technologies advisors provide you with tools and expertise to do incredible things. Because we believe there's an innovator in all of us. For advice on smart PCs powered by Intel vPro that's built for business, call a Dell Technologies advisor at 877 877- Ask Dell. Glad you're with us. Welcome into Tuesday. We continue to get more information about the importance of quality sleep. A pair of studies released this week at a leading cardiology conference found that while insomnia may raise the risk of having a heart attack, consistent high-quality sleep habits could add years to your life. Among the findings, people with insomnia, 69% more likely to have a heart attack compared to those who do not have the sleep disorder. In one study, people were categorized as having insomnia if they had at least one of three symptoms, difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, or waking too early. The symptoms had to be present for at least three days a week for at least three months. Over an average of nine years of follow-up, people who habitually slept five or fewer hours were 56% more likely to have a heart attack. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. A government watchdog says an abrupt, uncoordinated withdrawal from Afghanistan and years of problems with planning and oversight of U.S. assistance contributed to the collapse of the Western-backed government in Kabul and the Taliban takeover of the country soon after U.S. forces departed. The watchdog says poor accountability on weapons and equipment provided to Afghanistan also was to blame. The inspector general laid blame blame on U.S. administrations going back to George W. Bush, but the report cites as a pivotal turning point the 2020 Doha Agreement when the Trump administration pledged to withdraw U.S. troops and contractors from the country in exchange for guarantees from the Taliban. Number two. The White House says there is not a consensus across federal governments on the origins of COVID. That announcement came after the Department of Energy concluded the pandemic most likely began after an unintentional laboratory leak in China. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby on ABC. There's not been a definitive conclusion, so it's difficult for me to say, nor should I feel like I should have to defend uh, press reporting uh, about a possible preliminary indication here. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Energy Department's conclusion was made with low confidence, meaning there was a level of certainty that was not high. Number three. Uh, the, the Supreme Court prepares to rule on President Biden's plan to cancel a big tranche of federal student loans. Analysts say it's likely the high court will nix it. BTIG analysts say the probability of the student loan plan surviving the courts is no better than one in three. The analysts note that the high court, which has a six to three conservative majority, has taken steps to steadily curtail the administration. And an analyst for Capital Alpha Partner says there's a widespread belief this is a slam dunk case for the conservative Supreme Court to rule against the Biden administration. Gas prices in a number of states, especially in the South, have fallen below $3 
$3 a gallon. Nationwide, Gas Buddy says the average price is about $3.33 a gallon, down $0.04 cents from a week ago. Nine states have prices below $3 a gallon, including Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Texas. Prices are dropping because the cost of crude oil has been tumbling. I like the way that phrase sounds, below $3 a uh, gallon. Yeah, New Jersey, too. Right. A patriotic New Jersey man just completed what he's calling the journey of a lifetime. Tommy Pasquale of Randolph successfully walked from the Atlantic to the Pacific nearly 3,000 miles in 143 days. Mr. Pasquale trekked from Manasquan, New Jersey to Venice Beach, California to raise money and awareness for homeless veterans. Fox News says he has several veterans and active duty military in his own circle. Since completing his trip, he's raised nearly 100,000 bucks for the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans. The 25-year-old finally set foot on Venice Beach 11 days ago. Toward the end of his journey, he was walking 25 to 30 miles a day. The many miles he covered, all while pushing his shopping cart full of essentials, caused him to burn through 10 pairs of shoes. For his overnights, he camped in a tent when he wasn't crashing at a motel or at the homes of people he knew along the way. He said he kept his mind active by listening to country music and Bruce Springsteen classics. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.